Network. Hi, this is Stephen Turek from the Freebooters Network. Today we bring you another episode of Ego, the 80s geek out. We hope you enjoy the show. Episode 9 of Ego, the 80s Geek Out Podcast. My name is Ian Clark, and I'm joined, as always, by the ton to my ton, Mr. A. Bradford Anderson. Brad, how are you this morning? Oh, good morning, sir. It's a beautiful, beautiful Sunday here in Southern California. Ah, and you uh, uh, been away. You left the big city, if I'm, uh, if, if I'm understanding things correctly. Had a little bit of a sabbatical to uh, parts unknown. Yeah, I... Haven't really taken a trip in probably two years, and by trip that means actually leaving the state of California. So I um, had an opportunity to go visit a really good friend of mine in Colorado, and we were debating how am I going to get there. Biking could have been an option, but that would be insane because where am I going to put all the clothing and shit? Flying is a little weird now with all the COVID stuff going on, and then I figured. You know, my car is awesome. It's virtually new, has no miles on it. Why not drive to Colorado and, and then just see what happens? And literally, I we it was loosely planned, the trip. I just I knew the destination, how exactly I was going to go there, northern route, southern route. Took the northern route out through Utah, southern Utah to Colorado. Amazing landscapes, you know, things that – I've only seen National Geographic, things I've only seen in books and TV and movies, and to be able to see it by myself with the music blasting and me going, uh, dare I say it, 85 to 90 miles an hour, because the speed limit allowed that was pretty epic. So yeah, yeah spent, a, spent a good, I think it was nine days away from uh, San Diego, which was awesome. Saw a lot of neat things, lots of wildlife. Mountain landscapes, drank some amazing Colorado beer, had some great food, and met some amazing people. So um, it was a well-deserved and much-needed uh, escape from Southern California. And I hope um, if things turn out with me still working remotely for the next couple of months, that I'll be able to get out there at least one more time before um, fall kicks in. So Awesome. Now, yeah. How long a drive was it for you? Um... Day, let's see here. It's about, it's a, if we just break it down for the easy sake of it, it's two days. You could do it in a little less than that if you had a partner driving with you, but it's to be safe. You know, I stopped over in, in from San Diego to southern Utah and St. George, stayed there, went through Vegas, which was interesting. I, I, I was in Vegas to get gas and then just left. I don't really have any interest in really hanging out in Vegas much. <laughs> it's a little bit of a crazy town, but... Um, the second day, um, and it really comes down to, from what I feel, if you get enough sleep the night before and get up at a decent time, not like, not like four or five or six, but if you get up at like at seven and then leave at eight or nine, you can actually do a, an 11 hour drive. So I left where I was in Colorado, just, um, Southwest of Denver and drove 11 and a half hours to Sedona, Arizona. And that was pretty amazing. That was a great drive similar landscapes but very different in many ways and i probably could have kept going a few more hours driving because i wasn't as tired as i was when i was going out to to colorado on the first leg so 
Nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's good too to, I mean, if you're not, if you don't, if you're not time crunched, you know what I mean? Right. If you don't have, if you don't have to be in a certain place at a certain time, then it yeah. is nice to just be able to, to take that time. Um, Amy and I used to make the drive back when we went to college in Tennessee, we would drive back to Maine, you know, every, um, every summer Right. And we'd take a few days. I mean, it was a long trip anyway. It was about a 24-hour drive, but yeah. uh, we'd spread it out because, you know, we, we weren't in a big hurry to, to get back and, you know, had the option to stay with relatives along the way. So, um, yeah, it's nice if you can take your time. Nothing beats that. And the, and the fact that I really wasn't on a timetable made it that much more of a relaxing drive as opposed to, like, got to get to point B now because, you know, point A is now – in my in my rearview mirror so sure. yeah i definitely recommend it to anybody i mean a lot of people seem to have already done this you know and here's me who has trouble escaping southern california so when i did um it was a uh, super memorable just a beautiful experience and to be perfectly honest um denver i'm not going to say put this on official record which i'm doing right now but denver could be calling me in the near future to uh maybe vacate southern california i don't know weird shit happens all the time <laughs> <laughs> well yeah it seemed you know, there were there were some hints shall we say on facebook that uh you enjoyed your stay enough to um to perhaps yeah. investigate and uh i i don't have a ton <laughs> my i i my one experience with with denver is pretty limited i covered uh i was a i was a sports writer for a long time and, and the new england patriots were my uh main beat and I covered Super Bowls and things like that and I, I have a hard time even remembering. I want to say it was 2009. Whatever year the Patriots went undefeated in the regular season and then lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, that Super Bowl was in Phoenix and I was out there and covered it and on the trip back uh, I had a layover in Denver and got stuck in Denver because Ooh. my next, I think I had like something like two stops. It was a, obviously it's cross country so it's a, you know, a little bit different than, you know, going like Boston to, to Miami or whatever. But anyway, uh, I got stuck in Denver and I was in the airport all day because they were still trying to reroute me uh -huh. because I think my next stop was Chicago and Chicago was snowed in so, and they couldn't get me directly to Boston. So I ended up spending the entire day in the Denver airport only to find out they were not going to be able to get me out that night. And I had to spend the night in Denver. Uh, they and then I got. I can't remember how if the if the newspaper put me up or somehow I ended up with a hotel, but it was like outside the city proper. And so I yeah. didn't and I, I was actually like I was tired because, you know, even when you're not flying the plane or doing any of that stuff, it's it's still tiring to oh, of to travel and not knowing what's going on and thinking I'm going to get home and all that. But anyway, I was kind of excited because I'm, I'm a big hockey fan and the Avalanche were playing that night. And I'm like, oh, this is cool. I'll just I'm. But I ended up so far outside the city that it was going to be like a 30-minute cab ride to get me – you know, and this is before Uber and stuff. It was going to be a right. while to get me back into the city, and I was like, you know, now this is a little too much. So so I kind of saw Denver or bits and pieces of it, um, but well, haven't had much else experience with it. But it, that's definitely a city I would, I would like to spend some more time in. And well, it's funny you say that because when I was considering the options of flying or driving – you know, the the airport is kind of to the east of the city, so it's literally on the other side. So and then where I was staying was on the southwest side. So it was it kind of really didn't make sense for me to, to fly. And I can see what you're saying, because if you 
fly in and you're put up in an airport and you're kind of just on the periphery of the city, and it's it's a hike to get to the airport. It's not like where it is in Boston where you can get fairly easily to Logan or here in San Diego, um, Lindbergh Field. You can actually – I can take an Uber ride and get there in like 10 minutes. So it's depends on the city and the yeah. convenience access to an airport. But you know, I'm, I'm always kind of partial to cities that have airports that are just on the cusp of the of these – you know, um, central business district. So it doesn't take a lot of effort to get in and out. But, you know, that again was a deciding factor to get in the car and drive my ass out there. So, yeah, well, it's also big too. And obviously it's, there are certain limitations in, in each city, but it is also nice to have um, those cities that have uh, public rail. Yes. You know, Boston, Boston has that, Atlanta has that, you know, places where you can just, you get literally in the airport. You just take a train wherever you need to be. So that's that's always good too. I, um, but again, limited by geography and that type of thing too. So, but um, all right, cool. Well, I figured we'd check in a little bit. Um, not a ton else going on here. We're just plugging along. My kids are finally done with school. I went to the um, uh, Amy and I yesterday went to the Black Lives Matter rally in oh. Concord. Um, nice turnout there. It was about 2,000 people. Nice. Uh, very, um, very peaceful. There were some, you know, some of the the dickheads out there with the AR-15s feeling oh, the need great. to show up. But, you know, thankfully there was only a small handful of them. Good. Like a legit skinhead walked through, and I, I was thought there might be some trouble because, I mean, why do you why do you walk through in yeah. full skinhead regalia unless you're yep. looking for trouble? But um, exactly. People just ignored him, so uh, so it was good. I, I felt it was important to go and and you know show solidarity and uh, um, so so it was good. It was it was good good to get out there and, and do that. And um, you know yeah. I hope that uh, and everyone wear masks and being um, you know keeping keeping distance. So it yeah. I, I I was I was really happy with how it turned out and um, I thought it was very very positive uh, and, very, and very moving. There was uh, there were some speakers and. Um, you know, they read off uh, some of the names of, of those that we've lost, and the, there's a church across the street. This was at the State House in Concord, and the, right. they actually rang the church bell for each name. So, just okay. very, very powerful uh, and uh, and important. So. Well, that sounds good. You know, the organization of it sounded well, and the attendance. It's you know, we we can't always say that about you know last week, but at least uh, you know the end of this week, basically, we've got you know seems a little more civil gatherings and celebrations of people and in, in, in memoriams so that's good yeah so so that was good but um all right we are here because may and again we're a little late but that's all right brad had a sabbatical and we're not in a big hurry for anything we can do things when we want to this is ego uh, <laughs> uh but may of uh 2020 for all the other craziness uh that it has had seen was a pretty big milestone in the film and pop culture community because it marked the 40th anniversary of The Empire Strikes Back. And Brad and I are huge Star Wars fans, so we definitely needed to give it its due and uh, watch the movie. I watched last night, Brad. I think you watched a couple weeks ago maybe. Yes. Um, but took notes, and so we're just going to do, do one of our deep dives into uh, – a movie that has been my favorite movie uh, isn't maybe maybe not one A right now, but it has never strayed far from my top two or three uh, my entire life. So, uh, but I, I wanted to talk a little bit about your first time. Do you remember your first time seeing Empire back in 1980? 
I did. I do, and I did. My folks took me. Um, I was eight at the time. My folks took me, and I think a couple of the friends to uh, the Waterville Cinema on Memorial Drive. I think that's where I remember seeing it. And you know, in the age, you know, pre-internet and just really marketing, you would only see a couple advertisements on TV for it. So the anticipation was there. As a young kid, you know, under 10 at that point, you're not thinking sequels and understanding that there are major storylines to be carried on. You're just blown away as a kid, like, oh, my God. And then suddenly toy lines are coming out and you're just every angle is hitting you in the best possible way because you had such a great experience as a kid with Star Wars. And now suddenly an entire new movie is out. Lots of new characters, different places in the universe for them to go. Um, and that, that was one of the few films, I, as I recall, actually going into the theater with my parents. My The only other one I can think of with my mom was E.T. Yeah. They weren't big moviegoers. You know, they usually, once I got of age, uh, we they either dropped us off and came back and picked us up or... You know, or we once we got um, a little bit older, you know, either our older brothers or sisters or we walked wherever we were to try to get to the theater as long as we were able to get in. But, yeah, I very memorable. I remember that was one of many times, I think, you know, and then as the series progressed, you know, return at that point, then I was we were getting into the seeing it en masse. So my numbers of times seeing it in the theater was increasing from Star Wars to Empire to Return. But, yeah. Very memorable experience, and you know, and as I'm, as I know, we'll discuss, you know, just the impact of it to, on a young mind at that age is just, it's, it's in, uh, incredible. Yeah, I, my, we were big movie people as far as rental. I think we've kind of touched yeah. on that, where you know, you'd get the VCR and a handful of movies and watch them over and over on the weekend. And I think probably even in 1980 that it, that it started for us, yeah. but. Going going to the movies, we didn't do a ton. We went to the the drive-in when we lived in Winslow. Uh, that's actually where I saw the original Star Wars. But by 1980, we lived um you know we lived in Smithfield, so we'd have to go to Waterville, like you said, or maybe Skowhegan. Yeah. And uh, for Empire, a significant thing that I remember with Empire is first my parents did take me, so they they took me and. Honestly, in an actual theater, I don't remember seeing anything that predates Empire except maybe Star Trek The Motion Picture, which my stepdad would have taken me to because he was a huge Star Trek fan. That was 79, right. I think. Mm-hmm. So so, um, so I remember going, and this was a first for me, going a second time because um, I don't know if that had ever – even occurred to me as a kid that you could because it was so strange this was before hbo and all that stuff had really taken off and home video had was still kind of limited you when you watched a movie especially something that had an impact on you like star wars the ability to see it again was very limited so you had you had maybe the the storybook which i remember taking out of the school library about a hundred times Nice. Yeah. Studying the pictures and reading the story. You oh, had yeah. comics mm-hmm. and you had your action figures. <clears throat> that was it. So for me to be able to go a second time and the reason yeah. I went a second time was that my mom or it might have been my uncle's friend. Like it was a, a friend of the family. 
she was a huge Star Wars fan. I think she had seen the original something like 23 times wow. in the theater. She wanted to see Empire again, um, didn't really have anyone else to go with, was like, hey, you know, can I take you in? And, and I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> so I saw Empire twice. That is, as far as I know, the first movie I ever saw more than once. Um, so I, I very much remember that. And uh, just like you said, thinking that it, the story was going to continue and that we were going to yeah. have new adventures and see new planets and, and introduce new characters. And, and that's something empire really does well is open up the universe. It, um, you know, where if you think about it, the first one's very limited, you've, you've got Tatooine, mm-hmm. um, a, a ton of stuff play, takes place on the death star. Right. We see Alderaan, but it's blown right. up. We never see on the surface mm-hmm. and we get a, a very small taste of Yavin where the rebel yeah. base is. That's it. So, right. you know, immediately in Empire, we've got something completely new with with Hoth. Oh, and I want to I want to touch on so the opening crawl, you know, the obviously the first one established that the um right. you know a long time ago in a galaxy far far away, and then it does the crawl right from the get go on Empire. The tone is set. The very first sentence in the opening crawl is it is a dark time for the rebellion. So we go from the victory at the end of A New Hope and the destruction of the the Death Star and yeah, everything's great to, right. yeah, no, things have not been good. The, the, the rebellion is on the run. And, and right. so I think that's great that it sets the tone immediately. Yeah. I mean, they literally, you know, wasted no time. And then, you know, and then with the music across even all three films, because we'll just call the three films, you know, it's ominous, it's orchestral, um, it's, kind of foreboding and like you said definitely leads to the fact that the the underdog you know beat up the bully and now they're on the run from them so it was pretty much you know like you said the tone was set right at the gate and um and carries through throughout the entire film yeah and uh something i wanted to uh, touch on early too is um i i don't think ben burt the sound designer for the star wars movies gets enough credit the iconic sounds that he created everything from lightsabers to blasters to, you know, Chewbacca's um, sounds and, and expressions uh, to just tons of sound design stuff that is that we know immediately when we hear it, what it is. And right. we get that pretty early on with the probe droids, the probe droids that the, the Star Destroyer fires out to, to kind of scan the galaxy for the rebel base. The, the sounds from the probe droid, just them being launched to when they land and the, the cool noises, just yeah. really immersive and makes you believe that these things are real because they're not recycled 1950s and 60s sci-fi noises. Right. They're wholly created for these new creations, and um, I think that's really important. Just as important as John Williams' score is to these movies, I think Ben Burtt's sound design is, is equally important. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so yeah, we get we we see one of the um, probe droids <laughs> crash land on Hoth. So we've got a, a polar, literal polar opposite of Tatooine, mm-hmm. in an ice-covered planet, uh, snow-covered planet, and we see the cool shot of you know Luke on his tauntaun, and the probe droid crashes. Looks like a meteor. Uh, th- this movie, and and it started in it started in A New Hope. But the the lived-in world 
that Lucas created because again, sci-fi, old sci-fi was shiny. Everything looked, you know, brand new, matching spacesuits, all that stuff. Right. Star Wars looked lived in, <laughs> and, you know, everything from the Millennium Falcon being, you know, beat up to to Luke's land speeder being, you know, kind of a, a piece together type of thing. Right. Small details are what makes Star Wars so rich. And there's a very small detail right off the bat that I absolutely love. Luke's Tauntaun has a broken horn. One of his horns is broken. And to me, that's just a tiny detail. It's like a thing. It's like if that's not there, it doesn't impact anything. But right. just that it, it does have that broken horn shows you that this the, like this creature's lived a life. And you know yeah. what I mean? And those little things really help me get into a movie yeah the i mean the details you know alone are just I, I, and the fact that you know he's sitting on top of the tauntaun you see the the steam coming out of his mouth knowing how fucking cold that planet <laughs> is you know, yeah but before he talks on his uh his calm when he calls out to han you know telling him he's gonna go check out we, we perceives to be a meteor crash you know he unwraps his face you know so you definitely get to feel that you're in, as you said, a not only a polar opposite environment from that was set the tone in Star Wars, but they're in a polar environment where it's sub-zero temperatures, and as we soon learn, those temperatures keep dropping very dramatically uh, on the scale for the planet, and while they have to close off the Rebel base uh, to prevent against freezing and and other nasty things that happen uh, when cold weather really sets in. Right, and it's it's another subtle hint just how far the empire has pushed them they are on this world that no one would choose to live on it's it's incredibly inhospitable and you know han even jokes he's like oh there's not enough life on this thing to fill a star cruiser so you know things that do live there the indigenous things like the wampa and we assume the tauntauns uh it's a difficult life there so this is where they've been pushed to um Speaking of the Wampas, we get a hint of a scrapped subplot when Han arrives back at Echo Base, and he's walking through, and there's a place, there's a dead Tauntaun that one of the the, uh, medical droids is looking over. Mm -hmm. So there was this whole scrapped subplot where they were also having to fight off Wampas trying to attack the base and get inside. Um, So you kind of see a hint of that um, as Han walks through there, which is kind of neat. I guess they couldn't ever make the actors in there's like footage of them like on stilts and stuff they couldn't it, it just looked dumb so they had to scrap it but um, <laughs> it didn't work yeah <laughs> yeah but it's kind of neat um uh and then so uh and break in here if there's anything you want to talk about i'm yeah. just kind of going through my notes but so um uh we'll talk about the special edition enhancements too as we go mm-hmm. through um i know a lot of people hate a lot of stuff and obviously the han and greedo thing from a new hope is ridiculous I think a lot of the special edition changes in Empire are actually pretty strong, and we'll, we'll talk about them as we go. But we see the first change in the Wampa Cave because they actually shot new footage of the Wampa eating the Tauntaun. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all new. I think that's good. That adds kind of some menace and gives you a perspective of the size of the creature and that it's okay. a, a brutal, you know, feral-type creature. So I, I'm okay with that, the, the addition there. Um, what are your thoughts on the new Wampa? Do you, do you like it? I will. Yeah. I mean, compared to, you know, the original cut, I was always, when you, when you look at the films and that was one of the things I even recognized in star Wars that although I, I identified and absolutely loved all the characters and the monsters that were being, I never felt 
that I had enough time with them. Like the cantina scene from the first film, they're doing scans and the camera's going through the crowd and you're seeing, you know, Walrus Man, you're seeing all these Snaggletooth, you're seeing all these different characters, but you're not able to see them on screen for long enough. And I always felt, you know, that was a weakness. Like, I want to see who these characters are. I want to spend more time in the cantina. You know, you get to see, you know, the cantina band playing and then with Hans sitting across from Greedo, but you don't get enough of that connection. And I was always fascinated with, you know, these amazing creatures who are just pans on a screen. But at least now with Empire, they definitely did that, you know, even on the original cut, but also with the director's cut, they, the special edition, they are now focusing on, I think, giving fans a little bit more of what they want. And obviously in these later, later films that have been released uh, in more recent years, you actually get to see everything that you want to see as a kid more in depth, you know, conversations with Jawas, um, you know, larger animals that you just saw only for a fraction of a second on screen. So I think, you know, Empire definitely moved in the in the better direction, you know, initially and then even with it, with the um, the extended cut that you're getting more a little more screen time. Yeah, because you want to know what a Wampa is. You want to know, you know, how, you know, because when it attacks Luke, it's such a quick thing. You hear a roar, you look up, the tauntaun goes down, Luke's getting gets knocked over. And next thing you know, he's getting dragged in the cave. I wanted more of that on the original side. But I think as they tied things and moved it forward. You get to see, you get to hear more of the growls that it makes in the cave. You know, there's an ominous creature waiting because he's hanging upside down, and you know that you know he's going to be some type of food source uh, for the wampa. So yeah, and uh, a quick uh, plug here because you mentioned the canteen aliens, always been one of my favorite parts of Star Wars, the entire yeah. Star Wars mythos. I love the cantina. Um, Two really great resources to to get a better look at them. One is these the Star Wars costume uh, book. Um, I can't remember what it's if it's just called like the costumes of Star Wars or whatever. But it's like a coffee table size book came out a few years ago. Nice. Phenomenal book shows you the original sketches of all the different cantina. It shows you a lot of their costumes and stuff. Highly recommend that. Um, cool. And then on YouTube, I think it's called like Cantina Archaeology or something like that. Somebody and it's recorded like at a at a convention somewhere, so it's not super high quality, but it's fascinating. These guys decided they wanted to track down every single alien in the cantina, finding oh, wow. the actors, finding huh. as much as they could about the the costumes. So highly recommended because it's That's wild. I mean, yeah, it's absolutely like in depth and really well done. And, you know, like I said, it's, you know, it's recorded at somebody recorded at a convention, so it's not super high quality, but you can hear everything. You can see the pictures and stuff. So um, I, I would definitely, and I saw it on YouTube, so I would highly recommend that. Nice. Um, uh, okay, so it, also you mentioned, you know, Luke's hanging upside down. Uh, we get the first hint that he's kind <laughs> of been branching out with his force powers beyond what obi-wan was able to show him in their brief time together in the first movie because right. luke clears his mind and is able to call the lightsaber to his hand right so that's kind of cool we get to see that he's he's kind of developed a little bit that's our first hint that things right. have changed since we last saw him yeah because we end up seeing him just a very young green horn wet behind the ears jedi in training and that space between the films gets filled in, like you said, extremely well because, you know, he's, 
you know, he's about probably eight to 10 feet away from where that is inverted upside down, kind of out of his mind, bleeding because the wampa has scratched his, you know, clawed his face and he's calling out and focusing and, and the lightsaber thankfully is within view distance wedged in a pile of snow. How often is that ever going to happen? I probably <laughs> not too often, but thankfully um, the, it somehow fell off his belt and was within grabbing distance for him to actually go ahead and um, summon it uh, with his Jedi mind skills. Yeah. Uh, true. It is an interesting, obviously it's a, it's a movie <laughs> convenience yes. for it to be there, but, but there it is. Um, so, uh, so Luke's able to escape um, from, cuts the Wampa's arm off uh, and, and runs out into the, you know, uh, now sub-zero temperatures of, of night on Hoth. Uh, so we cut away from that. And then we, we see, this is the very first time that we hear the Imperial March. Uh, it cuts to space. We see all these Star Destroyers massing uh, the Imperial March, which is obviously so iconic. Uh, this is the first time we hear it. And you get to see for the first time the Super Star Destroyer with, yeah. you know, like the massive command ship, which I, if I remember right, in like actual in lore is something like 18 miles long. Mm-hmm. Um, it just yeah. dwarfs these other Star Destroyers that we had obviously seen in the original. Um, so that's kind of cool. We get to see that, that the Empire has, even though they've got these big, scary ships, they've got something that even makes that look, you know. Way so. more ominous. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we move now to the, the battle on Hoth, uh, the Empire has to land ground forces outside the, uh, force field, and we obviously get the, the awesome AT-ATs, which, yep. um, are, are so cool, and we get a look at snow troopers, or a little bit different stormtrooper, you know, some snow and, and cold weather gear, and also the rebels, too, the rebels have their, kind of their, you know, foot soldiers and ready out in the trenches, and, uh, we get the snow speeders and stuff, this is kind of an interesting thing, the... This is a large set piece battle, and it's taking place in the first act, right. which is unusual. A lot of times a movie would save something like this for right. the end. Yeah. They do it right off the bat, and I think it's kind of cool. I mean, it definitely sets the pace because you know damn well, okay, this is a, a you know a clash of the big guy and the underdog in very inhospitable conditions, and you know just the appearance of it's an it's also indicative. You see. The rebels, they have a lot of their, you know, escape ships in uh, in Echo Base, and you and you can tell there's some planning going on. But you also see just the magnitude and the power and the strength and the clout that the Empire has. I mean, the Adats are just incredible in size. And then then the, it, it pans over to the the turrets and the small laser guns that the that the rebels have set up in their trenches, and you just feel this is not going to end well. <laughs> right. Yeah, so um, we get to see the uh, the snow speeders in action. Snow speeders, I love that. I think we probably talked about it on the episode about yeah. the Star Wars toys. That's one of my favorite. I love that design, and it's just such a cool uh, a cool ship. And interesting that, the, I mean, they're obviously called snow speeders, but it sounds like they're just regular speeders that, um, you know, they're that's what they're using because there's a line where, you know, somebody says we're having a trouble adapting them to the cold. So right. they're, they're not necessarily made for that. Uh, Luke gets in his. He's got his gunner. We meet his gunner, Dak. Um, I have kind of a, a fun story about Dak. Um, he was played by a guy named John Fastmorton. And um, 
mid 90s when the Star Wars Decipher collectible card game came out. I was a huge fan. That game was amazing. It kind of rode the wave of Magic the Gathering and a thousand games came out, most of which were garbage. But the Star Wars game was phenomenal. And um, just about everybody that appears on screen, including the Cantina aliens, had a card. So um, this guy that played Dak, John Fassmorton, came to one of these tournaments that I went to play. And this was when I was living in Tennessee. I think it was Nashville or somewhere like that. Went and play. And he was there and he he signed his card. His card had just come out. Um, it's super nice guy. All like he took money for his autographs, but it all went to a charity, like super good dude. And, um, I just remember after he left, there's like this, like 16, 17 year old kid who was like, Oh, look at me. I was in star Wars. I'm important. Like kind of shitting on him and stuff. And I was like, I was like, shut the fuck up, dude. I was like, (laughs) this guy was in star Wars. I don't care if he was on screen for a few minutes or whatever. He was in star Wars. How many of us would kill to have been in a stormtrooper or something like that in star Wars. Mm -hmm. And he's here like raising money for charity. So yeah, fuck you, buddy. (laughs) So, but he was a super nice guy. Um, I think he may have played a lot of those guys played other characters may have played a stormtrooper. Um, Jeremy Bullock who plays Boba Fett is an Imperial officer on cloud city, you know, out of, you know, not in the Fett costume. So a lot of those guys did a lot of different things. So I think he had done a few other things too, but, um, but yeah, that was just kind of a, a (laughs) a funny story because he, you know, again, yeah, peripheral player, but still he's, I was in Empire Strikes Back. Well, so. and and if you look at the scope of every film, the amount of characters they have, I'm sure they rehash. And I think that it's more than a rumor that Daniel Craig played a stormtrooper in one of the latter uh, Star yeah, Wars films. So yeah, there's a yeah, and that would that's only smart of a fairly decent sized budget film to recycle actors in different roles rather than take on a new body. It's just easy on the paperwork. It's easier on, on the scheduling. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, hey, because there were a bunch of people that wore the fat costume yeah. because it's like, oh, we need we need this shot. You know, Jeremy Bullock's not here today. Who fits in this costume? So, right. Um, <laughs> but um, the, so the ground battle on Hoth is really cool. We get to see the AT-ATs in action. There's also a couple of things that, that are like – anomalies or just unusual i noticed at one point the rebels fire a missile at uh at an ad at and it's a very slow moving missile so it's very interesting in a world with laser beams and and all of that that there's something like more traditional or whatever yeah. but it's, a, it's so that's kind of an interesting thing we don't even see it hit you just kind of see it streaking through towards an ad at like with right. a smoke trail behind it so little little again little details that are kind of cool. right. I mean a lot <laughs> yeah um uh han is able to get leia out takes obviously chewy and 3po with him they escape on the falcon when um uh when the command center of echo base is destroyed vader you know, is in Echo Base. They they come in. They're trying to get the Falcon. They escape. Um, one thing that they changed, and and it's not noticeable unless you see side by side. But because so much of Empire is going to take place in the cockpit of the Falcon, they changed the the Falcon cockpit significantly from um, A New Hope. Um, it's bigger. I was going to uh, say, yeah, it's definitely yeah. more more capacious, more space. It's wider. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's some that's kind of one of those things where it's like, well, continuity-wise, it's not, you know, it's it's maybe not ideal, but at the same time, it has to kind of support the storytelling, and so right. I'm okay with it. But it is kind of interesting that they they chose to do that because it's if like side by side, if you look, it's significant. There's pretty major changes. Well, and it's funny you say that because now I remember. 
from the first film when there's when there's Ben and they're when they're approaching um, the Death Star, just how everyone is like compact in yeah. the cockpit and the other in the in Empire much wider. There's elbow room between. Yeah, you know, I'm not sitting on top of my my co-pilot. There's space in the back. It, you know, it definitely was a more of a spacious way, of, um, spacious approach. And like you said, it, it bodes the storytelling, gives it a little more breathing room in that in that area. Yeah. Uh, we get the asteroid field escape, which is a, a great sequence with Incredible. the, um, yeah, the just you know the the piloting of Han and the and the ships trying to make it through and the tie you know the tie fighters getting smashed. So great music in that. Obviously, again, oh, yeah. the, the John Williams music throughout is amazing, but the great sweeping music, um, you know, adds to the tension of the of the asteroid field escape. That's a great scene. Um, moving on, Luke crash lands on Dagobah. Um, and, and I wanted to, to say, I think, I think Mark Hamill doesn't get enough credit for what he does in Empire. His 90% of the movie for him is him acting with R2, an yep. animate, animate droid, and mm-hmm. a Muppet. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> Thank you, Jim. He, <laughs> yeah. I mean, what he has to do, you know, and obviously Frank Oz's performance <laughs> as Yoda is, is key. And, but... But what Mark Hamill has to do to make this all believable is is difficult, and I don't think he gets enough credit for that because he does a great job in these scenes on Dagobah. I mean, yeah, I mean, he you're right. He spends a large part of the film by himself, and you know, figuring out the world that he's in. You know, he knew he had to get to Dagobah because Ben came to him in a very Real vision um, on Hoth, just as you think he's about to perish. Um, he's Luke, go to Dagobah and, and meet Master, find Master Yoda. And then, through as Ben's image dissipates in the snow, there comes Han with the Tauntaun. So you're you're given a sense of you know he's got a mission again that he has to go pursue entirely by himself. Um, and what is this Dagobah system? What is this planet where he's going to? Who is this? Yoda character that he has to meet up with, so it it definitely um he spends a you know a substantial amount of time figuring out the world, what his direction is, and how he's going to function in it, largely by himself, not getting much guidance from any of uh, of his other human and friend counterparts. Right, right, and I I think we should also point out I touched on it a little bit, but you know Yoda as a creation and and the puppetry of Frank Oz, uh, if that doesn't work, this whole movie falls apart. If you don't believe Yoda is a living, breathing creature, mm-hmm. it it literally holds everything together in this movie. Agreed. Yep. So, um, so yeah, so we get the intro to Yoda and all of that, and uh, then we get something kind of interesting. Again, a little hint that as a kid you were like, "Oh my God, what is going on?" We get a look at the back of Vader's head mm. without his helmet on. And it's all scarred up, and and so you know you've always heard these stories, and I, I remember hearing from fairly early on that he was all scarred up because of a lightsaber battle with Obi Wan, you know, on a volcano planet, and of course that came to be yes in Revenge of the Sith. So I, I remember hearing that fairly early on. So and it, and that is why Lucas went back to it because he had that like that was you know in his ideas and and canon you know, for notes that he had set up. But um, so that was kind of cool. We get to kind of see that, which, um, you know, 
again as a kid that really sparks your imagination because you're like oh man what does he look like under the under yeah, armor I, absolutely i mean you know the the imposing figure the voice you know the part robot most likely part man under there but you don't know to the extent yeah and you know and you know that's one of those things you're always wondering he's one of the few characters that isn't either a humanoid character or a full-on creature character he's a little bit in between both and you're always you know i remember just as a kid just being oh he's got a human voice and he's you know who is he under there and then obviously when we see him in that little pod uh chamber uh, his his private chamber on on star destroyer that you wonder you know what's really going on there and then like you said you see the back of his skull and it is as grotesque as you can only imagine, not fully knowing, um, you know, because one of the things that, that, that I found in between all the different films, you know, I wasn't reading anything, a lot of literature out there about that. Nowadays, you can just Wikipedia. There's so many things that you can tie in the storylines and understand the lore of everything. But back, at, you know, as an eight or eight or nine year old, you know, I there was a lot of information that was, you know, absent to me. So being able to now you know, understand why he looked like he did is, 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 is quite remarkable. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then, all right, next up we get to, uh, Han and Leia kind of having their, um, uh, their growing intimacy, uh, their scene together. And something I want to point out too, and obviously it came out, you know, later that, that Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford had had kind of an affair, but, uh, but their chemistry, their on-screen chemistry is so good. And um, whether it's banter or, you know, them, again, you know, sparking that romance, their chemistry right. on screen, I, th- I think, is huge. Yeah, well, and, and it alludes to it early on. Um, I'm trying to think at what, what point in the movie. Well, they have their argument up... in, on Hawk. Yes. They're, they're constantly bickering, which is, is that kind of – sexualized tension is definitely building where she ends up planting a kiss on Luke while, while he's recovering right. and he just stands there and it's just kind of, you know, pretty much bullshit, you know, yeah. and we don't know how, where it's going to go, but you know, you can feel the pressure between the two rising princess smuggler who has kind of evolved from a little bit more of his smuggling was to be a little bit more mature in the way, but he's still as, suave uh and trying to be as sophisticated as he's trying to be he never quite in the initial portions of it just wins her heart immediately and that builds throughout the entire film which is i think you know a really good subplot to everything that's happening yeah and uh speaking of han and his character too there was something i want to touch on too just a little thing but he his loyalty even though you know we and we saw it obviously in in the original movie because he comes back to save luke yes. he does not hesitate when luke when he finds out luke has not come back yet from his patrol yeah and even though as bad as it is it's going to be you know the the guy even tells him he's like your tauntaun will freeze before you reach the first marker and he has that awesome line he says i'll see you in hell right and he just doesn't he goes he just goes right. because it's the right thing to do and so so that speaks a lot to his character and han's always been not only my favorite star wars character he's one of my favorite fictional characters in all of you know film tv literature anything yeah. i i love the character um and that speaks a lot to it so um so yeah and and him kind of getting the girl too is a little bit of a an interesting thing obviously yeah. han and Leia are thrown together in this incredibly stressful situation um and you, you know, you mentioned the tension they already had there. So, really good stuff between I, I think Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher in those scenes. Definitely. 
another little touch that I that I noted, um, we see Vader speaking uh, to some of the other admirals on the other Star Destroyers in hologram form. Mm-hmm. One of the holograms, a hologram on the left, uh, they're clearly struck by a uh, an asteroid because the commander on the left side of the screen puts his hands up to shield his face and then the hologram fades out. So <laughs> just a little touch, but it's like, oh yeah, they just got smashed by an asteroid. So. And that must have been a substantial asteroid because based on seeing what the Millennium Falcon could do and the fact that the TIE, letters, the TIE fighters could barely navigate through that field, yeah. uh, that says something. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of cool. Um we get another special edition uh, change here that I think is is a good one because I I like continuity. I like things to carry through, and it always bothered me in the original that when the first time we see the Emperor, Vader goes and has to you know talk to the Emperor, appears in hologram form. Right. The original Emperor, obviously different voice, completely different actor because it was a woman. That they put in heavy makeup and then they superimposed like chimpanzee eyes over her or something to make her look menacing. So that was all completely different. Uh, and that always bothered me because obviously in Return of the Jedi we meet the Emperor and it's it's played by Ian McDiarmid and you know completely different. So for the special edition they went back, they filmed Ian McDiarmid, they changed a little bit of the dialogue too to make it you know more obvious that it's Vader's son, you know that is that thereafter so um right. so i'm a big fan of that change i think that's a good one what do you what do you think on that one yeah no i i, I well i mean there's so many little nuances but you know the improvements that they've that they've had you know and i and i actually i'm kind of happy that effort was put into the films to kind of bring in because kind of what i was tying into earlier um with the special editions coming out way many years later in the commentary being able to see actual bits and pieces that kind of tie the storylines a little bit more together, you know, especially like I said before, when as a young, young person seeing things, you, you see these amazing things very quickly on screen and then they just disappear in front of you being able, the fact that they took the time, the technology to kind of insert things, make things a little more concise and clear and fill in some of those gaps um, because the technology of, uh, is available now to do it correctly versus back in the day when, you know, we're seeing, TIE fighters or X-Wings that are on, you know, uh, fishing strings, basically. So it, it, it's I, – I like the fact that they did do that. That, in my opinion, they're not remaking it. They're just improving, making subtle changes to make the continuity and it, it more visually appealing. So I'm, anytime they can do that with iconic films such as, you know, 1, 2, and 3 or 7, 8, 9 or 4, 5, and 6, they uh, do a really good job of them. I've, you know, have, have no complaints. Yeah, and there's a, you kind of touched on it with like um, special effects type of limitations when it yeah. was originally done. One of the more subtle things they did in uh, Empire was in the scenes inside the cockpit of the snow speeders, because of the black screen or whatever they used to kind of superimpose it over the snow field. Mm-hmm. In the original, like the bars of the um, cockpit, the you know the canopy, yeah. were were somewhat see through. Like you could kind of see through the black. Uh, it's not super noticeable, but that was something obviously easily in the age of computers in the mid-90s mm-hmm. when they did this. They went back and just made those solid. Right. A small thing, and you would have to be told in the originals to look for it to even notice mm-hmm. it. But just sure. a small thing that obvi- that should be improved later on, I think. Um, 
Another couple of cool things that we get that we hadn't seen before, we can see TIE bombers uh, as they are kind of carpet bombing the, the large asteroid that the Falcon is hiding in. So kind of neat to see that there are other types of um, bad guy ships. Yeah. And, uh, of course, the Minox, we see mm-hmm. that somehow these strange creatures living inside this, what we find out later, isn't a cave. but right. you know, And they like to chew on Starship power cables for some yeah. They're, they're, that was probably, you know, in, in retrospect, I use the term energy vampire all the time to relate to people who just suck too much of your life force. Right. That was Colin probably my, yeah, that, that was probably my first, you know, you know, visual interaction, you know, way before I knew what an energy vampire was, a Minoc living in the belly of a beast, literally. Um, and that was just, yeah, and it was at this point in the film where, you know, Watching it again, how much I respect the franchises, how they take you to different geographic and organic locations. It's just, you know, we've got Luke still on Dagobah. We've got them in an asteroid field in the belly of a huge asteroid, which is containing a giant space-style worm with creatures living inside there. It's dingy. It's dusty. They have to wear masks because it's not – the air quality is – is bog-like. So you've got a bog inside a monster, inside an asteroid, and Luke uh, over here on Dagobah in a similar situation in a bog environment. So they did a really good job of creating the atmosphere. Every single nuance in the scene was accounted for um, in that in that regard because they're, they're thinking they're hiding in a safe zone area. They're away from it. And as you just noted, the carpet bombing um, on top, and they're hearing it, and you can definitely see that they're getting impacted by it. And that. Obviously, I think uh, initiates some of the space worms that in the belly that they're in, you know, getting a little bit upset that it's, 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 ha- its habitat is now being disrupted. And what we learn very shortly thereafter, when they when when the realization comes <laughs> that. Uh, they are no not in a safe place, and they need to get the hell off of and out off and out of where they are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that you know, kind of interior, even though it's a slug, sort of like them being yeah. in a cave, is yeah. uh, intercut with. We we then go to Luke's scene on Dagobah, where he ventures into the dark side cave. Right. Um, obviously, has this sort of quasi battle with Vader, where you know his own face is revealed. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, as a kid, obviously that kind of that stuff goes over your head. But you know, watching it so many times, or seeing it as an adult, or you know, you kind of get there's there's a there's a few layers going on there. At least to me, obviously, Luke's face being revealed kind of shows that right now he is his own worst enemy. But I right. think it also kind of foreshadows the the relationship that that it's you know it's it's Luke's own bloodline is in that. Yeah. Um, you know, in that suit as well. So, um, yeah, and that's an important scene. I don't know if that one gets as much respect as it as it does, or as it should. Sorry for for the storytelling that's involved. Yeah, there. and like you said, I mean, it's um, at our younger selves probably are not fully aware of what foreshadowing is at that point. You know, that definitely comes back to term at the end of the film, um, which we'll we'll get to of you know him. And the options that are put out before him and, you know, that whole battle between light and darkness, good and bad, you know, the force, you know, versus you know, the empire. It's just, you know, it it's 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 a wild scene. You don't expect to see it. It's very 
it's visceral, you know, the his head rolls and then the mask is revealed. And it's, I just remember seeing it and I'm like, what? I, ha- having a young a brain trying to wrap your mind around what exactly is happening. And then right, when you right. see Did it, he like, just kill Vader? Right, yeah. right. What, what what happened? And then, you know, but then Yoga's, Yoga, Yoda's <laughs> dialogue, hello. You could tell I've been in, in different places. Um, the dialogue he has with him before he goes into the cave, I thought was interesting too, because he kind of mentions... I want to say, I want, don't, you can correct me. I almost like he was almost alluding to him to not go into the cave with a lightsaber. It was almost like yes, he's, he's, he wants says, to encourage him to go into the space where he's very unfamiliar, but to go unarmed. It's almost like, you know, it's a, it's a mind game. It's a kind of what the, the Jedi's, do you trust the will of a stranger type thing? And do I go in there? Do I proceed into a space where, you know, I don't know where I'm going? Should I, this, this whole planet that I'm on, is odd and unfamiliar. Why would I proceed into a space that I don't know? Because obviously when he was on Hoth, he had the lightsaber in the cave. Now he's doing something similar. So why would he listen to Master Yoda, suddenly someone who he's just met is trying to deceive him, to kind of test him to see, is he smart enough to go into a a situation unarmed into a a dark space that he's um, really unfamiliar with? Yeah, Luke asks, he says, what's in there? And Yoda says, only what you take with you. Right. Luke starts to put his weapons belt on, and, and Yoda says, your weapons, you will not need them. Right. Luke still insists oh. on you know, bringing them in with him, show, again, showing he's not ready. Um, right. So, yeah, great great scene. Yeah. Uh, then we cut to an awesome scene that, again, as a kid, just your imagination would just explode. We get to see all these bounty hunters. Um, yes. <laughs> they are so cool and oh so different looking. You've got, you know, IG-88, who's a big, you know, thin droid. Yep. You've got Bosk, who actually has a line. He says something to um in Trandoshan to the, uh, um, you know, to the to the Imperial officer that kind of sneers at the at the bounty hunters and says we don't need their scum. Right. Um, so Bosk is super cool looking. Um, yep. Obviously, Boba Fett is iconic. Mm-hmm. You've got Dengar, who you wonder what his story is. He's all scarred up. Um, yep. You got Forlom and Zuckus together. So I just remember seeing them. And then, of course, when the action figures came out, it was amazing. Yeah. But um, that just seeing the them. <laughs> yeah. And, but seeing them, it's almost like a mini cantina. You're like, what are yeah. these guys? What is right? their story? Because, so, yeah, because they're on screen for, again, another very short period of time. And just like you, you just said in Star Wars, you're you're being introduced to these amazing overwhelmingly cool, dark, crazy characters. That's not all one group of the same people being told, you know, hey, go out and find them. You're actually seeing robots, you know, lizard-style creatures, um, uh, bugs, humanoids, and stuff. And you, your mind just starts to go like, wow, what? who are all these amazing characters? And, you're, uh, you know, at that point you're thinking, oh, good, we're going to see a whole lot of it, which we right. don't. Yeah. yeah, which that's the the dip in it. The tease, but, you know, yeah. Yes, a total tease. <laughs> uh, then we we cut back to Dagobah. We get the great scene where Yoda uh, raises Luke's X-wing out of the bog. Um, you know, has obviously some some of his most iconic dialogue there. You know, judge me by my size. Do you? Um, yeah. Great. My favorite line though of his is where he says, "Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter." Like we are so much more than just our shell, and and I've just always really, really loved that quote. I think it's I, I think it's very beautiful in its 
um, simplicity. Sure, agreed. So uh, that was a dog. You don't even own a dog, Brad. No, I, we've got a lot of <laughs> we have a lot of dogs here uh, with our my tenants, uh, all the tenants around me here, dogs visiting and dogs staying over. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, we get now the Falcon kind of escapes by attaching itself to a star destroyer. Han's plan to uh, just kind of float away after they dump the garbage is pretty great. Right. Um, you see Leia, uh, Leia shows some respect for Han's plan because it's, yep. um, it's a little unconventional, but, but it's, but it's, again, it's, it's very effective. Yeah, it's, com- it's completely unorthodox. Like yeah. the, the whole thing that they're attached to, um, one of the, one of, you know, one of the ships and. Yeah. And 3PO is freaking out about it. <laughs> That, that's what I loved about 3PO in this film. He his character really came into form of him always questioning, you know, the decisions of the humanoids that he's being surrounded by. He was, you know, he's kind of like the, the the the. It's funny. He's a robot, but yet he has a very human, wimpy human characteristics. Very kind of like scaredy cat, and I think that yes. bodes well to the brashness of um, Solo, the kind of the good candor of. Uh, of Leia and Chewbacca is just his, his normal physical large self, and then there's 3PO who's always the the, the concerned person of the group. <laughs> I don't think we should be doing this. Yeah, he's always questioning the decisions, even if it requires them to escape a very precarious situation. He's always, is this the wisest decision we should be making? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and in some ways maybe even the voice of the audience as well, because yeah. maybe asking questions that the audience is asking as well. Right. Right. Uh, so we, we get them drifting away with the garbage. We see Boba Fett has also figured this out and, oh, and is yeah. going to track him, uh, track the Falcon. So that's very cool. Um, then we move to Cloud City, which, again, we get another cool, interesting new location. This is, even though it's not necessarily expressed in, in completely certain terms, it's made pretty clear that this is this planet is essentially a gaseous planet. Right. This city exists within its atmosphere and kind of collects the gas from the right. – so a very cool concept that this entire city – massive city uh, and the population of people that live and work there just kind of exist in the atmosphere of this planet. So that's, that's very cool and very thought provoking too, because we, you know, again, something we hadn't seen before. Um, So uh, we get the intro to Lando, obviously another great new character that, um, you know, again, they do such a good job with this universe being like it's existed. Han has his entire past from before the rebellion. He's got all these shady characters that he knows. And, you know, he's obviously been into some, some sort of dealings with Lando in the past. And yes, again, they don't give you everything. They even hint at it. You know, Chewie says something and Han's like, well, sure. He's forgotten about that by now. Right. So, right. Yeah. They, the, the allusions to the storylines that, you know, as, as a young person, you're not necessarily making those connections, but as an adult and looking back, watching this film, you 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 get to see, like you said, that the, the storylines and the histories are all there. We just don't know how deep they go. We know they exist. We know that there is um, there's most likely tension going to be had there, which we very quickly learn upon their landing on Cloud City. But it's one of those things that they do it really well, especially in Empire, with giving you just enough to whet your appetite. But also, you know, depending on your age, to be able to think, well, what what did he mean by that? Or this is incredible. What, what is the storyline? What is the connection between these two characters? Because, you know, as a smuggler, 
all over the galaxy. Han's been very active from what we know and from what we don't know uh, in the history uh, of what what he does, you know, transporting goods and services across the galaxy. But now we're actually seeing another connection because we had we had Greedo in the first film that was, you know, coming to collect on a debt that was outstanding with him in, in, in Java. And now we've got um, him landing on Cloud City and there's definitely a kind of seems like a, a slightly tumultuous past between he and Lando, which I think is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we get a little bit of time on Cloud City and kind of see how things work there. C-3PO gets blasted by um, going into somewhere where, where he shouldn't be. And we don't really we don't <laughs> oh. really know why. <laughs> uh, it's hilarious. You know, they're all walking in one direction and 3PO being his over-inquisitive cat-like self Sees the door open. Oh, or and it makes some reference to oh another droid and walks yeah, in. Yeah, he thinks you know, he hears an R2 unit. Yes, he gets blown. Are you an R2 unit? And then he gets up getting blown up, and and then the door closes. And like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we we know something's obviously not right there. Uh, we figure it out quickly when Lando brings them to uh, have a meal together. The doors right. open, and Vader is there. And again. One of my all-time favorite, and it's, it's a small thing, but Han, one of the things that makes him, you know, one of my favorite characters uh, of all time, is zero hesitation. Yeah. Door opens, he turns his head. Vader is there. His his blaster is in his hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and f- like, there's no no hesitation. He's yeah. he's just instinctively reacts, and. But it's an amazing scene because not only do you see Han being a badass and not having any hesitation, right. but Vader just deflects the blaster bolts. Yes. And, and, Showing the, 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 just another level of the power that Vader has. I and mean, we've seen bits and pieces of him all throughout the film, uh, the series, to date. We see him um, when he – the rebel transport initially when they're trying to capture um, – trying to capture Leia and he lifts up a guy. So he yeah. has pure physical strength. You know, we see him do the chokeholds. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the chokeholds on his own members of the staff who are questioning, you know, his decision-making powers. And now he can deflect um, a laser uh, from, from Han's blaster without even thinking twice. And, you know, it was, it was that scene that, yeah, it really, cause I love the, you know, the Eastwood Westerns, like the old Westerns, the gunslingers, sure. This that that was the consummate moment, you know. Aside from him blasting, you know, Greedo in the first film, but where he, like you said, zero hesitation. The 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 galactic the, the galactic gunslinger just pulls out and fires with no hesitation to defend the people he's with, and uh, you know, it doesn't go in his favor. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a strong it's a strong scene for both of them because you get Han, you know, again showing strength and you know being in command of a situation, even though ultimately he's not, but he's right. going to react in a way to, to, you know, preserve himself and his, the people he cares about. And then Vader again, yeah, he deflects them. He, he pulls the blaster away yeah. and, you know, Boba Fett steps out and it's like, well, yep. all right, now there's, the there's cast, not much. <laughs> right. The, the cast becomes very full and very scary at that point because, you know, we, we you've got, you know, the mixture of Boba Fett, the Stormtroopers, and some of the best Vanguard. So everything just goes sideways very quickly. Yeah. 
Um, you know, Luke, uh, we know that Luke is going to leave because he's seen the vision of, of yes. Han and Leia in pain. So he's going to leave for Cloud City, even though he knows it's a trap. Uh, and then it comes to the carbon freeze scene, which is possibly one of my favorite scenes in the entire trilogy, even though it's uh, – um, and probably all of Star Wars, it's one of my favorite scenes. Even though it, it ends badly for Han, who is my yeah. favorite character, everything about this scene is well done. The the score, the lighting, yes. the atmosphere of all the, the steam and smoke everywhere. You see people in the back in shadow. Yeah. Um, the performances are great. You know, Billy D. Williams as Lando is is he knows he's done something wrong, but he's oh, also really. in a position where he has no leverage. Right. Um, you know, Han knows like like Chewie starts to fight, and Han tells mm-hmm. him there's going to be another time. This is right. There's, this is a no win situation. Right. You know, his interaction with Leia when when they know that he's going in. All of everything in this yeah. scene to me is perfection. It tied it, t- it tied the film together. I mean, everything leading up to this was fantastic. This very emotional scene. There's no mm. question about that. You're getting very powerful. Everyone, You're right. everyone reacting slightly differently. Vader knows, you know, in his dialogue with, you know, you know, Lando that, you know, the Empire is in control. Empire is in Cloud City. We they giving the 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 perspective that, you know. We essentially are in this facility now. We own this facility. You will do exactly as instructed. You will follow our orders, um, and you might end up okay. Han, like you said, in a uh, no-win situation, you know, uh, knows he knows what his end game is. Unfortunately, as soon as he realizes that the carbon is his next his step, um, and it just is a very Yo, and then I'll, I'm gonna let you say the iconic line between Han and Leia because that 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 kind of y- union makes the union of the two of how much, even though he's still a swash, you know, the the swagger swashbuckler, you know, uh, intergalactic smuggler, he shows you know that he has his emotions that are right there for her. Yeah, and and there's been a lot um, written and and said about the. Um you know, the iconic, I love you, I know exchange. (laughs) It wasn't quite ad libbed, but what it was, there's a great book that um, it's hard to find now. I have, I'm lucky to own a copy because I found it in a used bookstore, like probably in the early nineties, but there's an entire book. They had a journalist on set for all of empire. And it's called, I think it's just called the making of the empire strikes back. And it's got interviews with the entire cast throughout the making of the movie and there's an entire uh, conversation between and, – and we should have mentioned this a long time ago. Irving <laughs> Kirshner is who directed this. Right. Fucking phenomenal job directing this movie. It, it, a huge – and we'll talk about that kind of at the end when we sum up. But he is a huge reason that this movie works so well. His direction in this movie is phenomenal. Yep. Um, so he's, he, he's having kind of script – conversations with Harrison Ford about this scene and Harrison Ford is saying I don't think it's in his character to say the ice the scripted you know I love you too it's just not him so they actually spitball back and forth and I think it is ultimately Harrison Ford that comes up with it but it's not like it was in the moment because I've heard people say that oh yeah lived that and it wasn't in the moment but they definitely workshop that whole scene to try and figure out what was 
what was the right response? And I think ultimately they nailed it. Oh, they totally nailed it. And it's it just, you know, his roguish self, you know, because he she had been rebuffing his advances through almost full two films to finally get to that part. And it that tied how much of a bond the two of them actually have, um, you know, at that moment and then moving forward. Yeah, and and so you get the um, you know he's lowered in, he comes out, and we find out that he's alive. Um, yeah. But uh, again, just very, just a very powerful scene. The whole th- the whole thing is is just so well done. Um, we move on. We find out that um, Vader is actually going to take Leia and Chewie, even though he, right. he first told Lando they would be able to stay on Cloud City. Right. So uh, you know things not working well, out. Changing you know. the terms of the deal, and you and, and I think that. I'm not sure if it was prior to that, but we, like you said earlier that, you know, Lando definitely realized he was in a, you know, he was up against, he was back to no corner, didn't have many options, but when the, when the deal changed, I think that's when he decided, all right, I'm, I'm going to try to pull myself back into the equation here and, and attempt to do something of a right thing to, to save the, the remaining characters who are not uh, being going to be taken away. Well, and, and probably in that moment he realizes as well that he, yes, he needs to try and make things right, but he's also right. got to try and make things right for the people of the city because yeah. there's there's nothing there's nothing that's going to stop Vader from when they leave just saying, hey, blow that city out of the exactly. sky. And, right. and so he's, I think he kind of realizes that there's nothing that he had hoped would come out of this is going to come out of this. So, right. Um, so, uh, so things start to go south, and, and Lando tries to, to help and, and allow them to escape. Meanwhile, Luke lands. Um, we we get his kind of brief interaction with Boba Fett, and then he finds his way to the carbon freeze chamber. Uh, Vader makes his appearance. Who's, he looks phenomenal, you know, in the in the shadow and the smoke and everything. And something really subtle, again, little things that they did such a great job with. When the the fight between Luke and Vader begins, Vader is kind of testing Luke. He's toying with him. Vader fights with one hand for mm-hmm. the first few minutes of this fight to kind of to to kind of test Luke and to, to kind of see, all right, do I need to really put any effort into this? Right. And again, it's a subtle thing and it was probably you know, it wasn't a recent viewing, but it was I was probably well into my 20s, maybe even 30s before that occurred to me and I noticed that he fights those first few minutes with just one hand. Right. Um, so again, subtle, but, but kind of a cool little detail that they went with. Uh, great battle too. The whole, that whole battle on cloud, on cloud city is so good. You get, they're changing locales. Um, they start in the, um, you know, in the, in the carbon freeze chamber, they move out to like, sort of like a control, um, tower area, um, you know, end up out on the, obviously out on the, the gangway there where we, we get the, um, you know, the iconic, I'm your father. Yep. Scene. Do you do you remember having an emotional reaction to that as a kid? I don't. I don't remember being shocked or or anything. Again, no. I was like sevens, but but I don't I don't remember having a reaction to that. Not such a like a I don't know visceral reaction. I, I, it was more of a kind of an oh wow moment as opposed to an oh wow moment. I, there, you know. You get a sense from Vader's dialogue with the Emperor uh, in this film that, you know, 
trying to bring him into the fold and try to convert him. So you get a sense that there's definitely, you know, even in the even in the Star Wars film, you know, you know that there that there are subtle connections there, not fully always defined to a young person understanding, you know, what is this, what is Vader's relationship on, on the long on the big spectrum, but. Yeah, I mean, leading up to that, just to kind of preface it, you know, when Vader begins to move all the objects with showing the, the yes. his strength and ability, you know, pulling pieces of, you know, metal and canisters off the walls, you know, through using his, his villainous power and just hitting it. And Luke, at that point, is just getting his ass pummeled. I mean, it's that – I think I had more of a reaction to that because he – is getting hit from all sides, all this debris, you know, because it was at, I think it was kind of almost at that point leading up to what you just said earlier, where Vader was testing him, kind of like what Yoda did in the cave, testing him to see, you know, is he smart enough to go in unarmed? Is he, regardless if he's ready or not, when he goes in there, is, is what is he, what is he going to find? In this instance, Vader realizes there is a little bit of a, uh, a young a young brute here that is giving me a run for my money. You know, he's younger, more agile. So he just uses the full gamut of his, of his uh, abilities to just kick Luke's ass by hitting him with major objects that, you know, ultimately knock him through the window and down onto the, the, the gangway of the, of the, of the weather, um, the weather antenna that hangs beneath uh, cloud city. So, well, and, and another subtle thing that they do there, you mentioned Vader hitting him with all of those, you know, pieces of machinery and debris and everything. Yeah. It shows you how Luke has let his emotions, probably in this case fear, uh, overshadow his connection to the Force because yeah. everything that Vader hits him with, Luke swings and reacts in the wrong direction. He swings yeah. this way, he gets hit in the back. He swings right. this way, he gets hit on ah. the side of the head. He is He has completely lost his... Yeah. connection to his ability to channel the force and and it just shows that vader's mastery versus a young pupil yes yep and and, and in com, com, clear indicators because he his you would think when you know i mean and luke had the ability to help get some of his skills honed on dagobah and obviously we know we saw the baseline of his abilities to pull the lightsaber um, out of the snow pile in the in the Wampa Cave. So, but he completely was overwhelmed in the emotion, and that is the thing that carries out through all of Luke's characters of his ability to can we you know can the Empire convert him? Is he on the cusp of going in our direction versus staying on the Rebel side and and for the Alliance and staying on the light side versus the dark side? So he. As he's getting his ass kicked, it's very evident, as you just said, that he um, has lost the channeling of his abilities because he technically should be able to deflect those with his mind. Um, and, or at least you know, with the saber, yeah. With the saber to, to some degree or to be able to have some sort of physical maneuvering where he can roll away from them. But he was sure. just succumbed very quickly to the onslaught that Vader you know, uh, kind of dropped on him. Yeah. Uh, so – yeah, the the revelation that um, Vader is Luke's father. Uh, Luke chooses to um, throw himself into the abyss, essentially, yeah. then, then succumb to uh, to Vader's you know offer to for them to rule the galaxy together. And um, obviously, that's a mask, so you don't get the emotion, but the 
there's a very subtle physical reaction that Vader has when Luke jumps. He just kind of leans forward and you can even with that, even with yeah. the mask, you can you can see it's a, it's there's surprise there just in his body language. Right. That, you, that, he was that, not expecting that to be. the. No, no. And that, again, a father finally literally and figuratively reaching out to his son and to join him and the son chooses not to join him. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, evident of a dysfunctional family situation that has yet to fully become, you know, evolved uh, on screen. But he certainly, you know, just, you know, just lets releases himself go. You know, his his arm is, has been chopped off, um, and he's holding on for dear life. And I think probably the drop down that 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 weather channel shaft was um, more of a oh my god than him having the revelation of his dad because you know that was one hell of a fall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I believe I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen the original. I think Luke screamed in the original, and I think they took it out in the special edition. Him screaming as he falls, um, which I think is good because he's he's resigned himself to his situation, and that's what yes. he's, he's so um, he's obviously sucked into sort of like a little vacuum thing on the side of the um, uh, you know this chasm, ends up dropping out onto um, like a weather vane or whatever at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, in desperate situation, can't climb back out, and calls out to Leia. So we right. get kind of our first hint that she has some sort of ability with the Force. Right. Um, and so they're able to go and, and rescue Luke because of that. Um, so that's kind of interesting. That gives you something else as a kid to think about. Right. A link. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and of course, earlier Yoda said there is another. Now, as a kid, I'm like, oh, it's Han. It's got to be Han. Right. <laughs> but, right. Of course. It's got to be the, <laughs> the swashbuckling. Uh... <laughs> yeah. But um, obviously, we know now it's Leia. Um, you know, they do rendezvous back with the um, with the Rebellion. They're kind of on the edge of the galaxy. They're a very cool shot uh, there. We see Luke getting his, you know, new hand. Um, and, uh, and then we get that, you know... Chewie and Lando are going to leave and go to Tatooine and, and try and get Han because they know that's where, you know, that's where Jabba is. Right. Uh, and we get that cool shot of, you know, Luke and Leia together and the droids are there and it's a nice, we get that great John Williams score coming in and yeah. um, a sweeping shot of the, of the kind of the galaxy and also the rebellion ships. But right. I don't think any major motion picture had ever done what they did there and leave it on a massive, massive down note and cliffhanger. Vader has clearly shown his superiority. He's cut Luke's hand off. He's just rocked him with the information that he's his father. Hans right. in carbonite. The rebellion is on the run. Again. And, <laughs> yep. And so just the amazing balls to right. end that movie there, I think is, I think really is, is something. I mean, it, it definitely it was at that point, I think, and, and we touched on this earlier, like uh, when seeing Star Wars as a kid, you're not necessarily you think, OK, maybe that's the end of it. You know, you're not hearing you're not thinking there's going to be you know a sequel and then following films after that. That kind of, I think, triggered in my mind, like they can't leave it like this. Right, you know? right, right. There's too much out of alignment for all the good in the film. They, you know, everyone is suffering in some sort of, you know, you know, localized or on a larger scale way. And, you know, and that's when it, it kind of triggered me that, okay, th- 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 there's something good going on here. There, there will be a follow-up to some degree. Don't know when that is. Don't even really know what that means, 
but you just get that sense that they can't possibly leave us like this in this state of you know emotional distress for all these amazing characters that we've seen you know you know fighting off um, every aspect uh, of of evil in this film and dealing with you know treachery but and then yeah it's just they they can't possibly leave us hanging. And they do for three years. That's what's yes, crazy. Yes, they did. Too. Yes, they did. Those three years. <laughs> three years until we could find out what happened. That's crazy. Yep. And as a kid that, too, that's forever. Yeah. Three uh, years is a forever time. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm, that's when we're we're, we're suddenly GI Joe figures are now mixing <laughs> in with our Star Wars figures. Yeah. They got to bring us back in. You know, I got to get those. Yo, oh, oh, wait a second. Is that a Gamorrean guard figure? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> So, um, yeah, I mentioned before just Irvin Kirshner directed this, and I, I don't – I'm not someone that, that shits on Lucas for anything that he's done with Star Wars. It's his – ultimately, it's his vision. People can choose to accept the changes that he makes or the things that he does or the prequels. You can – you take or leave that on your own merit. I don't, I don't care. Lucas, to me, is the architect of this entire world, but – so I'm not someone who who will say anything negative about about Lucas, but one thing that I do want to point out about this movie, I think it's the only perfect Star Wars movie. I think the others have issues here and there. New Hope is phenomenal, but there's some uneven yes. acting, but that goes to the lines that they have to right. read. I think some of the writing isn't great, and some of the line reads because of that aren't great. Right. Uh, so New Hope is amazing, but but it falls just shy of perfection. Return right. of the Jedi has a few more plot things, and they've got to tie everything up, so, so right. that one falls short. I think Empire is flawless. I'm I th- in 100% agreement with that, and I think I said – and I when I think I posted that on, on – on Facebook, it stands the test of time as being a film that has no flaws, and it's just, you know, like you said, when we were talking about the dialogue between Han and Leia in the Carbonite Chamber, you know, the everything was delivered correctly in just the right amount. The dialogues between, you know, Vader and the Emperor um, and everyone else in that, I mean, that ties things together. I mean, we, we love action. We love to see adventure. But you know, I'm very big on understanding what's going on in people's minds, and I think the dialogue sure. definitely they they nailed it across the board, and that just made everything. It stitched the whole film together to be. It is the perfect sci-fi film. There's no question about that. Many have come before it and failed. Many have come after it, and we definitely know have failed. This particular film, so early on when technology was starting to really expand and, and enable you know directors and producers to really tinker with. The models of the of the of the sci-fi world. I mean, this thing they did an incredible job across the board with everything. Every like you said, the nuances is it was just perfect. Yeah, character development's a huge thing. That's mm-hmm. what you're talking about there. But so so back to my point about Lucas. I think this is the only perfect Star Wars film. And as and again, it sounds like I'm being negative toward Lucas, but but the reality is. This is the only perfect Star Wars movie. It's kind of the one he had the least to do with. He so this the original script was written by a woman named Lee Brackett. Uh, she unfortunately passed away before the movie was made. From my understanding, they used zero content from her script. No but shit. to honor her, they left her in the screenwriting credit. Lawrence Kasdan came in mm-hmm. and essentially rewrote the entire thing. Lucas obviously interjected things here and there, right. but Lucas, th- this is not ultimately not really 
entirely his script. Right. Kirshner is directing. Lucas is not directing. Lucas was there, obviously, during a large part of it. But I, I think those other hands being involved in this movie make it a stronger film. The dialogue is reshaping way, it. Yep. Way better. Than oh yeah. The original. Um, you know, the, it, it Kirshner brings out amazing performances. Um, obviously John Williams is still there with his score. That's, you know, that's a constant, but, um, just the elements that make this a, a great movie, um, are all there. There, everything is, you know, and you touched on it too. It's like everything works together to make this a work of art. And yeah. obviously huge Star Wars fan, lifelong Star Wars fan. This movie means a ton to me, but I think, I, I think you can put this up against any, you know, great film regardless of genre right. and it's going to hold up because the storytelling and the performances and everything are so good yeah absolutely yeah the storytelling i mean you nailed it right there the storytelling is perfection you know it just we and i and i always and i and i look for these in films especially you know adventure or sci-fi films it's the locations and they hit every marker hoth dagobah on the spaceships um Bespin. I mean, just it's just everything is amazing, and that tell that that carries the the location helps carry the story and the plot forward, and, and they did that so well in this movie. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Uh, awesome, it was great. I it had been a little while. I mean, the Star Wars movies I I revisit fairly regularly. There's certainly no more than a year goes by without me watching all of the originals. Um, yeah. So it had, it had probably been about that long since I'd seen Empire, maybe a little less. But um, you know, great to to revisit it. And it's fun how it sucks you in because I sat down to watch it last night. Um, and you know, Amy was on the couch. Um, on her Surface Pro, you know, like doing bills or whatever. And but you would. You know, I'd I'd look I'd look over and catch her. She's sucked in. She's watching you know, <laughs> this scene or whatever, and and you know, commenting and stuff. And and because it it does, it pulls you into the world, and and the characters make you care about them. And and that's yeah. good. That's just good movie making. So agreed. Yep. It, it was fun to revisit, and um, you know, obviously, 40 years, it it still holds up incredibly well. Absolutely does. All right. Well, uh, all right, my friend, is there anything else we, we want to say about The Empire Strikes Back? No, no. I, I, <laughs> we did such a good job on this one. This is, <laughs> this is amazing. You know, I, you know, I was excited when, when you when you proposed this idea because it made sense because it's, you know, it was the anniversary of it. And I was just thrilled to be able to sit back because it had been a couple of years since I had actually sat down and watched it again. But that same feeling of of uh connection to such a good film and the characters and and remembering bits and pieces but purposely kind of you know shielding myself from knowing what's next even though i did know what's next is always kind of a cool thing um and yeah it was it was a real pleasure to watch this film and i'm I'm looking forward to you know future quality sci-fi discussions that we're going to have on on iconic films yeah absolutely All right. Well, we will wrap up this episode of Ego then. And uh, I will say once again to my co-host, thank you, Brad. I appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. I will always be here. (laughs) Jedi. (laughs) All right. So this has been Ego, the 80s Geek Out podcast. We will come back again with another cool 80s topic next month. Until then, my name is Ian Clark signing off for Brad Anderson and saying may the force be with you always. 
listening to Ego, the 80s Geek Out podcast with Ian Clark and Brad Anderson. We are a part of the Freebooters Network. Check out thefreebootersnetwork.com to listen to all the awesome podcasts on the network. We also invite you to check out our sponsor, Geek Nation Tours, at geeknationtours.com and interact with our Facebook page, ask questions, offer comments, and critiques. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.